passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Rod. John Pollock, waiting. How are you? Pretty well, John. Yourself? I'm doing okay. I just had a tea. Oh, a tea. Okay. Yes. Is this a usual now? Uh, I usually, uh, usually midway through raw, I need something, and tea is usually the go-to. A bit of caffeine. The start of that Andrade Apollo Cruz match. It's like okay, I have to buckle in here. What kind of so, tea? Uh, a mint, mint tea. Mint tea, okay. Okay. I will have mint a- anything. Mint flavored anything is great. Even like a like a mint pizza? Never tried that. I would though. Like if you put mint into like the crust or something, if it was like a mint flavored crust, I'd be like, that's really weird, but not weird enough that I'm not going to try. Interesting. Mint mint chocolate, mint ice cream, mint tea. Um those things work. Mint- what um I'm trying to think what what would be disgusting. Mint, maybe like a mint chow mein. Wouldn't be my preferred flavor, but like really, like a mint ice cube. I'd try that in a second. That would be pretty good, I think. You're picking things that are refreshing anyway. Of course that's going to work. Okay, a mint banana. Mm, Okay, that might work too. I'm still down with it. Bananas like, are kind of refreshing, though. You know, you got to go off the map. Like mint okay. sushi. Okay, mint sushi is, to me, wouldn't be too wild from wasabi. Mm. It's a different... Uh, mint, to me, was, it's, mint wasabi, actually, might be interesting. Okay. I'm, again, I'm open to, to I, all I of think this. you've got a new business. Okay, mint spaghetti. That sounds terrible. Sounds awful. Sounds like <laughs> the, it? the worst thing ever. <laughs> I I've not found the worst one yet, but um, okay. Do you have a Do you have a, an equal flavor that you could counter me with with mint? What is What is your mint? My go to flavor, my like a flavor that I could take an, um, uh, multiple doses of anything. Um, tell you what, lately I've been getting into uh, making my own um, uh, sriracha mayo. Okay. So you just take sriracha and you take some mayo and you mix that shit together. Ugh. Okay. Ugh. You're the Sorry. guy. Who, you're the guy who's willing to eat mint spaghetti. spaghetti. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Sriracha mayo is delicious. That's something you could put on anything. 
Maybe that's what Eminem was rapping about. It wasn't mom spaghetti. It was mint spaghetti. He's just mumbling. Maybe. Sure. Okay. Well, um, we're not opening a restaurant ever because it would probably be the two of us sitting there alone. We would be shut down permanently, uh, pandemic or not. You know what I'd call it? What? Mint condition. I think that's brilliant, actually. If you're going to open up a mint store, that's a great name. Yeah. Everything's mint, right down to the water with my ice cubes. All right. Because then you have the people that come in and they don't want to buy anything. They just want water. It's like, okay, joke's going to be on you. Well, how much? What the hell is this? How much would you charge? I'd give the water for free. No problem. I think that's a bad business because that that mint water is going to cost you money to make. No, 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 no. You see the word of mouth though, okay? For the people, how many people would have that story about the time I went into this restaurant, they gave me water with a mint ice cube because that story would come up every single time ever that they're out with people and someone wants to go get a complimentary drink of water. Be like, hey, this one time, make sure the ice is not mint. What are you talking about? It's this place called Mint Condition. It's run by this idiot. <laughs> Where is it? I am strangely curious about this place. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I'm retired right now. As of now, I'm done. This wrestling stuff, I've, I've reached my limit. I'm out. No, you, you're, you're clearly multi-talented. I, I would say maybe you haven't really found your true calling yet. I don't now. know if I found my first talent, so let's not get multi out there yet. Well, um, brilliant. Uh, you've done it again. You've reinvented the wheel. You've invented a brand new genre of food. Um, just one of many, many things I think you, you continue to amaze me with. Did that DVD I found amaze you on Sunday? A little. I mean, I, I actually have that copy. I know exactly where that DVD is. It's like it's in my parents' house. Like, I know exactly where it is. I've stared at it for like the past, you know, 13 years inadvertently. <laughs> it's always been here. Yeah. And I've recently been just because I got this old laptop. I, I, I think I had told the story that I wanted to like hook up. I don't have a DVD player, but I forgot that I had this old laptop that has – DVD playing capabilities. So I've just I've just hooked that up to a TV now and I can play DVDs. And on Sunday night, I was watching this um, this sports documentary on Mickey Mantle. And I was going through these old DVDs and I found this thing. And it was our university, our graduation DVD that our friend David Hall uh, was the mastermind behind. And I don't think I've ever watched this thing. I don't think I have once opened this DVD and watched it. But on Sunday, I thought, what the hell? Why don't I throw this on? And there I found uh, me in my my hideous 2007 fashion sense, which I, I found hysterical. And then you directly following me as well. Yeah, yeah. You uh, have not aged that much in 13 years, I'll say. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I would say the same for you, really. I think that mm. you've aged in terms of maturity and in terms of fashion sense. Certainly, because the the way the 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 John Pollock we saw in that DVD etched in time forever. I believe this was during your black hair phase, and I don't. No, 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 no. I think I think I had retired the black hair by this oh, point. Okay. Uh, I I I remember la- the because the black hair that to me was like a step too far. I always liked my crazy 
fashion decisions because they were just outlandish. And I think it was because I went to high school where I had to wear a uniform every day. So then I was just a mess, a mess in university. It is true. I, I, I never really appreciated, I think, how experimental you were with everything. Because, yeah, one year you showed up, all of a sudden you had black hair. And, you know, I, 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 you, you didn't let me finish. But on this DVD, I know for a fact, you not only have one earring, John, you have two earrings. One in each ear, stud in each ear. And if this was a wide, too bad it's they're all close-ups, but like if this was a wide angle, I would have no doubt it would be complete with a wallet chain and undoubtedly flame shoes. I think the wallet chain lasted all four years. I think. I think. Now, if you're listening to this, you'll get the exclusive, okay? You might have seen the double earrings. What you don't know, there were actually, uh, I had a third that just was what? not uh, was not occupied on that day, but I had a th- I had a third uh, piercing. Like an eyebrow? No, I just had the the, the cartilage up, up above. Damn! Wow! Wow! You like a because Maryland, when I went to go, you a all of these things or, or something? No, it was all I literally. I got my ears pierced in high school because I got to work and was told my shift had gotten moved. You've got an hour. I was like, I've got an hour. What am I going to do in an hour? And I went to the Eaton Center and I got my ears pierced literally out of the blue. And then wow, that's all I did. I called uh, – my mom actually ended up calling me and I threw out – I was like, hey, what do you think about me getting my ears pierced? And she was like, don't even think about getting your ears pierced. Terrible idea. It's like, okay, just a thought. And I would already done this. So then it was just the uh, – uh, seeing wh- when they would notice – when I got, uh, I think I was like 16, 17, somewhere in that range. And then I just, I took them out when I started doing jujitsu because I couldn't wear them. So I just took them out and never ended up putting them back in. Thank God for that. <laughs> jujitsu saved my life. It really did. Uh, okay. So then you got, you got not just, you got your two ears pierced then, but then you decided to get the third one. Okay. So here's how it goes. You get your ear pierced and they offer you a second piercing for free. And I'm always for the deal. So I was mm-hmm. like, put, put that gun through. So I got two. And then within six weeks, my ear was throbbing. It was in pain. I was like, something is wrong here. I had to take the earring out. And then I went back and I complained about this. And they were like, oh, the the cartilage, the top one, that had like filled in. So it's like, well, we're, we will redo that one for you. And the deal, you get a second piercing. So that's how I got the one was good. I had to get the top one redone, and it came with the free one, and thus three holes. And God knows if they would have like said, "Well, we feel so bad, we'll offer you five. Like I think I would have tapped at like three. Was it three? Was it for me? Um, I, I, I kind of wish. I kind of wish you had gone back to that store another time. But okay, this store was. It sounds like a very generous store. They, it, it was wonderful. It was at the Eaton Center. I'm trying this, to remember. Like a two like for was, one, like for for piercings. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't do that today, could we? I, um, I don't know. I don't even know where where you would go. I mean, for, literally for today, we could not do that right now. Right now, you can. I would assume that piercings are all banned. But where, where do you even go? Like Claire, Claire's Hot Topic. Is that where you get your ears pierced? It, it was. It was one of those like total like teeny bopper. Uh, stores too like it wasn't even anything like um intense 
or a- anywhere that you would want to uh, reveal that that's where I went. It was totally somewhere where it was probably like some uh, kid's like 14th birthday and went to get her ears pierced, and then I was in line. So, n- so now that you're you're kind of on the other side, what age would you allow your child to get his ears pierced? Um, depend if he would uh, like it, it would it would all depend on his um, desire. I don't even know. Is it's it like so that? There's thing? a great deal down at the mall. You get two for one <laughs> piercing. I'll be like, okay, listen, I'm going to warn you about the cartilage because it could, it could turn on you uh, if you wanted them. Um, I, I don't think it'd be a realistic uh, question until like he would be like in high school or something. And then I'd be, if he wanted, sure. I, I wouldn't, high wouldn't school prevent then. him from okay. high school. I, I don't know how, how many like 10 year olds want to get their ears pierced. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be a thing at ten. And yeah, then I guess I'll have to readjust. Oh, kids are hurt. Kids it, are it, it's not like it hurts. It's just like you gotta you gotta take care of it. Yeah. It's like a little. It's like a pin going through you. That's it. I shudder to think in ten years' time what the, what you know what people will be piercing as the norm. Um, eyebrows were such a big thing. I didn't want to get my eyebrow done because it just felt like everyone got that done. I was oh, like, yeah, yeah it just looks. I, I didn't want it. Well, corn was really popular. Um. Nose rings have been consistent. Like that's something that is still, I think, pretty prevalent. Uh, yeah, sure. What piercings do you have that you haven't told us about? Uh, none. Absolutely none. No, not not anything. Not never something that really interested me. Um, I guess there's still time. I wish I knew you in high school. I bet you that there's plenty of stories that that you have amongst your crew. Well, uh, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps. I'm not sure. Who knows? I don't. I don't know. I think we would have bonded certainly over a mutual love of professional wrestling. Um, maybe that would probably have been it. I think I would have been so obnoxious that I. I feel it would have been. It would have been hard to have that um, connection. Well, who knows? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly. I would say I'm very different from how I was in high school, and I would assume you are too. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we would have gotten so sick of each other, we would have, we would have never started a podcast. Might have been. We we might have been. I mean, there's the other th- sign that if we had been too similar, it would have been like, this person isn't interesting. They're just too predictable. There's, you want someone? I, I think uh, you, you'll bond with someone that's somewhat different from you, right? Someone that would get his ears pierced three times and dye his hair multiple colors and wear a chain wallet. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's talk about things that everybody cares about, which is everything that's happening at postwrestling.com. We have a, a few shows out uh, of late, including uh, the interview that I did with John Moxley. That's up on the site, chatting about many, many different subjects. And we've got the latest edition of Total Recall, where I read the descriptions. Uh, is this true that the uh, one episode centers around Kathy Wanting to have the greatest family photo ever? Yes, yes, yes. She wants new family pictures because, of course, the last family fi- picture she took um, featured a number of exes. And, oh, no. Uh, therefore, she needs new family photos. But this time, in order to ensure that problem doesn't occur again, she has to figure out a way to make sure Nikki's new boyfriend, Artem, is not in it. Oh, Well, that sounds very dramatic. 
what else do we have coming up this week? On Tuesday, it's Rewind Away. We're going back to October of 1988 to review Saturday night's main event featuring King Haku versus Hulk Hogan, Demolition versus the Hart Foundation, Ravishing Rick Rude and his tights taking on Jake the Snake Roberts, accompanied by his wife, Cheryl. Oh, yeah. And Andre the Giant. Versus Damien. Yes. Wonderful. Yes, where we're going to get a mock heart attack on network television. I thought the show was great. <laughs> well, do we have to do the review then? Uh, that's coming up Tuesday night for all cafe members. So a big rundown of Saturday night's main event uh, from October of 1988. Uh, then the cafe hangout is back Thursday at its regular time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, where um, the special guest will be you. Because we're going to be having uh, it's myself and Way versus the world. That being technology, uh, that's coming up on Thursday. You can look forward to that. The British Wrestling Experience is back Friday. They're doing a review of Riptide Wrestling's last show, uh, which was called The Storm, uh, which was the calm before the storm in the world. One of their one of the last shows to to happen before uh, all the shutdowns occurred. So that's coming up on Friday, and then uh, beyond that, we've got. Uh, post pro res with myself and WH Park that's dropping on Sunday, where we're going to chat about uh, All Japan's doing a show this week. We're also going to go and watch the great Sasuke documentary that is up on YouTube now. This was from a few years back, but it's now available on YouTube that everyone can watch uh, as great Sasuke is running for office while also uh, preparing for a big match. I've been meaning to watch this. Yeah, I'm curious to know what you guys think. Yes. Um, you could have called it the last dance potentially for great Sasuke, but as we will learn, it's hard for him to um, face the music and have that last dance with wrestling. Did you guys talk about my dad as a heel wrestler at any point? We haven't. No, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe a future review. Yeah. Have you watched it? I have not. No. Okay. Um, well, that's on new Japan world. I will. Well, someday I'll watch that for sure. So go to postwrestling.com. Check out all of that great stuff. Um, and now let's move on to the news. We start off with maybe surprising to some that uh, of the latest names attached to these recent releases from WWE, Gerald Briscoe, a guy who has been with this company since 1984, is gone. Uh, from the company. He had held uh, numerous positions with the company. And this was interesting because we were just chatting about the Briscoes on our last Rewind Away because that was uh, attached to the first Starcade event. And then it was in 1984 that Jack and Jerry Briscoe, they owned stock in Georgia Championship Wrestling and got together with some of the other stockholders and sold a controlling interest to Vince McMahon behind Ole Anderson's back, and this gave Vince McMahon the keys to the the big time slots on WTBS and led to uh, what was dubbed Black Saturday in July of 84. Vince McMahon coming on the Superstation and for a year controlled those slots before uh, he ended up selling them to Jim Crockett for a million dollars. So he, he made money off of it, uh, off that deal by the end. But the Briscoes came into the WWF and... Jack only lasted until early 85, retired, just was done with wrestling completely and dropped it, um, walked away from the industry. Jerry would stay on in a behind the scenes role, but had uh, so many different um, 
different roles with the company throughout the the attitude era we know of you know the the role with Pat Patterson uh, heavily involved with the Montreal screw job in 97 one of the guys in that inner circle that was aware of what was going on and one of his biggest roles was that of a scout he had deep ties to the amateur wrestling world he when Jim Ross had first inquired about Brock Lesnar Jerry Briscoe was already several steps ahead he had already made contact with the guy and Jerry Briscoe was a big reason for the WWF being able to recruit Lesnar and get him into their system and has, you know, played a big role in a lot of amateur wrestlers that have looked for a career outside of uh, amateur wrestling and into WWE. Uh, He's 73 years old now. And, you know, a lot of these guys you look at and assume, well, they will be lifers for the company. I don't think this company has that kind of sentimental value that I, I don't buy anyone in these positions as being lifers. So, um, well, it's unfortunate. Someone that's been there that long, I can't say any names being cut ever shock me. Um, this is kind of like Chuck Liddell with UFC, a guy who believed he had a job for life, but you know, when they have to make big decisions, sometimes those are uh, positions that get cut. So I guess it's, um, will Jerry Briscoe ever resurface with another company in, in the role of a scout or something like this, or is this his, um, departure from wrestling i guess that's the next question it's really hard to know maybe um what what goes on with with these discussions especially with a long-tenured guy like a gerald briscoe um was it a mutually discussed upon release uh was it something that was sudden Um, i guess uh until we hear directly from the man himself it's it's for me it's kind of hard to comment Mm -hmm. he is um you know, very tight with uh, Jim Ross from their their time working together that I would say in a regular climate, I would say AEW would, would look at him as someone to, you know, it would be, be a great um, source of intel to have with you and all the connections that he has when AEW does not have that developmental system in place and being able to recruit different athletes. But in, in this climate, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's, um, a nice desire to have, but not a necessity for AEW at the moment. Hasn't really proven to be like AEW's method of, of discovering talent thus far, has it? You know, they've been kind of going towards like really the people within the Indies or people that they know from, from their own personal connections, from their own local scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not necessarily in the business of, of developing talent from the ground up from other sports. At least, uh, you know, if you don't count that boxer, that apparently was signed. Yeah. And maybe that's not like granted they are still in the, you know, in the comparison to WWE much smaller, obviously. But even looking at the big picture, um you can question like is that the better way that instead of putting all these guys in a warehouse and trying to develop them from scratch, have them go out and learn this industry on someone else's dime and tour the world. And then when they're at a certain level, that's when you look at signing guys because it's not like they have the infrastructure now to sign 30 guys and develop them. Uh, that's that's not in place. Like they have the relationship with, with QT Marshall, but nothing like a WWE. And you can look at WWE of the money that is put into that. Does it – churn out the same amount of talent versus what the the biggest success they have had is signing guys from the independents. That has been the success stories of the performance center has been people that already come in with that experience. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, you can look at guys like a Brock Lesnar as sort of the exception. Um, what, would, what else? There, there's say? always going to be the exceptions, definitely. What else would you say are Gerald Briscoe's, I guess, uh, biggest scouting achievements? I'd be just involved with you know guys like Shelton and you know just um, being able to scout. I, I believe he was um, involved when you know Jake Hager was, was wrestling and kind of funneling him towards you know Jim Ross and the talent development side. But I mean, he would go out to all these different um, amateur wrestling events for for the NCAA's and just had the connections to all these different coaches and teams and athletes that when you heard of, you know, the, the standout amateur wrestlers and you ever heard of them having an inkling to go in the direction of professional wrestling or mixed martial arts, like Briscoe was a figure in there that could certainly be the liaison to steer them towards WWE and also have with the performance center, it's also something that very much speaks to athletes when you can bring them there and see the kind of setup they have um, oh, ver- versus systems of, of past years that it can be very enticing for an athlete that look at the kind of professional setup we have. And, you know, Briscoe is just a great link for that, that aspect of the world and recruiting from an area in amateur wrestling that there've been, you know, it's this industry is a history of some very noteworthy and successful crossovers. Right. There was a new being the elite today. Were you, were, were you surprised that we got episode two hundred one? Not so much. Not really. I mean, um, I guess you know you can definitely look into what they said at the end of episode two hundred as uh, a, a you know at least a, a teasing of of some sort of hiatus. So maybe in that sense, I was surprised that in the very next week we got episode two hundred one. But um, I, I didn't think the series was ever going to end. So the big thing on this show was early in the beginning of the episode, they see something in the sky, the Young Bucks do. And then at the end, it's revealed that in the sky, uh, in the clouds, reads FTR. Um, mm-hmm. I assume this means uh, feed the Ryback. Yeah, I think that's what everybody thinks. Huge. Um, so yes, I guess this um, sets up the inevitable arrival of the revival slash the revolt slash anything else you want to call them. Yeah. Um, I wonder uh, what the status of, of that trademark is because um, as has been discovered or at least uh, brought up over the, over the uh, Twitter over the past several uh, days, there already exists a tag team called the revolt with Caleb Conley. Uh, I forget the other person, but, so uh, who knows what what they'll be called now? Um, the renewal. Renewal. Okay. Mm, sure. Whatever. <laughs> Doesn't that roll off the tongue? Um, yeah, but this this starts it. Um, yeah, uh, it, it will be interesting to see how they introduce them in this current environment that they're going to be in for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's it's strange, but it's just it's just the circumstances. I mean, it's not always ideal to introduce new talent in this kind of setting. But I mean, this is this is going to be the case for probably the rest of the year, most likely with no fans. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly uh, in in Ontario or in Ontario today, they were talking about steps to uh, restart uh, the economy, restart everything. And at the very bottom of the list, pretty much, are large gatherings. 
of mm-hmm. uh, uh, in concerts and sporting events and things like that. So um, that'll certainly, <laughs> although in Florida, who knows, you know, but um, you can't stop, you know, not introducing these guys. You can't ice, you know, a, an act like the revival for months and months and months simply because you can't do live uh, uh, live crowds um, shows. Right. So why not just introduce them now? Uh, 2K made an announcement on Monday concerning the, the future of the WWE franchise. And from this uh, statement, we've got two words for you. New game. And they announced this, um, this arcade-style game called 2K Battlegrounds that's going to come out this fall. Um, and they put out this teaser. Uh, have you watched? I, I'm sure you saw it already. Uh, it aired on Raw tonight. And yeah. this it, starring uh, The Rock, John Cena, and an alligator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it appears to be sort of a like this generation's take on WWE All Stars, if you remember that. Yep. Very much just you know a, more of a cartoony arcade style type of game, and um, uh, I think it's I don't know you know I'm, I, they must have had this in the works for quite a while, but I think a departure from their typical engine um, is, is much required. You know, it, it seems like they were almost taking advantage of like the bad press or at least what it was announced in the conference call to use to announce this other game. Yeah. And then later in the release, it says, we want to address 2K20. We've heard and appreciate your feedback and continue to listen to you closely. Since, okay, they go on about all the, the expansion packs and changes they've made to the games. All of that being said, we hear you. And we know you want more from the franchise. So here's what we're going to do. We are applying what we've learned to the next WWE 2K simulation game with a renewed focus on quality and fun. As part of that commitment, we're extending the production timeline and will not be releasing a 2K simulation game in 2020. We want to ensure the development team at Visual Concepts can create a great game that will entertain grizzled WWE 2K veterans. It's like the the grizzled young veterans as well as newcomers who want to climb through the ropes and step into the ring for the first time. We've recruited Patrick Gilmore to serve as our executive producer to lead these efforts at Visual Concepts. And anyway, they they go on to talk about this more. So in terms of a simulation game, they're taking that year, this year off. And I guess we'll we'll, um, reinvigorate expectations, which I'm sure are going to be that much higher for next year um, with all the planning that is going to go into this next release but um it will come back next year yep so that's that on the 2k front um maybe we'll get a review of battlegrounds from you away i don't have one of these systems i don't know if i'll be getting around to playing this one but we'll see um dana white had some additional information about the latest set of uh, ufc cards he noted the fact that the next three, they'll all be in Jacksonville. But following that, on May 23rd, which is the night of Double or Nothing, that night's UFC card will be outside of Jacksonville, but he would not say where. He's being – it's – this interview with Kevin Ioli was rather amusing because here he is speaking with a member of the media, but then any time he was asked something that he didn't want to answer, his response was, I'm not telling the media anything. And this included the most painful response when Kevin Ioli put him on the spot saying, are you going to test fighters? Can you just you've been very reluctant to say yes or no. I think people would appreciate if you could just say, yes, we're testing fighters or no. 
And dude, the the dancing that Dana White does and never gets around to answering um, if they're testing fighters or not. I mean, I think you have to walk away thinking that there is not going to be testing, but Dana's not telling us anything. So he reiterated the points about the UFC is not making any cuts during this time. They are working out deals with the guys that have missed fights already, um, but said that there will not be stimulus checks for fighters because we're moving forward. Our fights are going to happen. People are going to get to fight. And I know what you're most curious about. Fight Island. It's not going to be on U.S. waters. There's going to be an octagon on the beach for fighters to train with other facilities. But White did note that an issue is going to be those that go to Fight Island needing to quarantine once they get back to the U.S. And he will have to do this because he is planning to go to Fight Island. So there will be quarantining in effect here, which is uh, going to be an issue. And one other note here was that he was asked after May 9th, if those shows will be on ESPN or if they'll be on pay-per-view. And he said he was not sure at this point. So uh, that's kind of interesting. The fact that it's even an option that they may run a second pay-per-view in such a small window, which ultimately I think would come down to how big uh, of a card that they could build right after May 9th. But um, May 9th is the only official one. That's a pay-per-view and that will have um, that. That'll be the next one in two weeks, two weeks. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, we yeah, less than 2 weeks away and that's that's the the night before money in the bank. So all of a sudden we have a a very crazy weekend. Uh did you enjoy your break? Um uh, totally. Yeah, it's um I I got a I got, I got a huge vacation in. Um tons of break. It's been a, been a slow couple of uh weeks. But the UFC, they're all ready to, uh, to, to fire back. And we talked about the Saturday, but the final number came in for SmackDown, 2,005,000 viewers. So the lowest on Fox to date since they, they launched there, um, slightly lower than the overnight number. Um, but yeah, very, uh, a very low number. And I'm not going to ask for your reaction because we've kind of talked about that already. But your prediction on tonight's Raw number way, will it be higher or lower than last week's, which was the lowest of the year for Raw. Oh, um, does it break the trend of declining week to week? I'm gonna just take a wild guess and say yes. I think it's gonna be lower, to be honest. So we'll find out. Let us get into said Raw, which took place from the Performance Center. We had Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and our third man, Samoa Joe, tonight. Taking the place of Jerry Lawler. And before you can say, oh, they came to their senses about Jerry Lawler, he was saved for the final segment where he would moderate the contract signing. It was really interesting. It was like they they were taking criticism seriously by taking Lawler off the commentary desk, but saving him for the final segment. And I'm trying to think about the logic, you know, because I would say the whole idea is that you're putting this person at risk by having him travel, um, having him close to other performers, and seeing some Ojo here, I thought they were basically avoiding all that. But Lawler comes out here in the last segment, um, very close to other performers, and it was essentially, I mean, he was there, so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure of the idea. Yeah, he... Um, it seemed like, yeah. The only thing I could guess would be... Like, did they feel that 
doing two shows in one day because they were taping next week's Raw on Monday. The idea of him doing two shows was too much. Like, too I don't much know. In what way? Uh, just him having to call six hours of shows instead of three hours in one day. So is he on the next show? I, I don't know. If he's not, if he's not on next week's show, uh, I, I don't understand the logic at all of flying him all the way to Orlando for a contract signing. I'm not sure. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, that said, I thought it was a marked improvement having Joe. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that that is the other issue. Could it be that the fact that they just simply weren't happy with his commentary? Because I think that would be enough to want to switch him out with somebody else. Um, I, I much welcome the addition of Samoa Joe to this commentary team. I wonder if Joe is going to become a, a fixture here on commentary. Do you think this is just a stopgap for Joe until they put him back in the ring? Or could you see him this being his role for the time being? Is he clear? His 30 days were up. What we don't know is that he did suffer um, that head injury. Um, if he if he is officially like if he's like that was back in February that I believe that happened. Um, that that would be the only potential uh, health issue uh, that he has. But the the 30 days was up a month ago. Uh, I wonder. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it kind of does feel like deja vu. You know, with Samojo coming back from injury and stopping at the commentary desk. Could be this way, you know, they could be replaying the angle that they tried to do to reintroduce him by having him sneak in into the commentary desk first and then maybe doing an angle at some point. I certainly hope it doesn't mean he'll be stick. I mean, I hope he'll be sticking around, but at the same time, I definitely want to see him in ring as well. The MVP lounge was opening the show that MVP said is the only nightclub in America that's still open. Yes. I yes. hope it's the only nightclub that's open right now, but I, I cannot say that 100%. Well, it's essential, this one. <laughs> it is. Uh, he brings out, uh, I mean, it's got a national audience, so I mean, I guess mm. this would qualify, right? He brings out the participants for the Money in the Bank match, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, and Apollo Crews, who is MVP's pick to win. He cuts off Ray, basically cuts his own promo for him that Ray is going to try and cement his legacy in the match. He says Alistair is going to try to catapult his star higher. And then for Cruz, he says, I'll admit you beat me, but do you have what it takes? And Cruz goes to speak when Zelina Vega comes out with her crew. And she refers to them all by their monikers. We've got the United States champion Andrade, the lethal Lothario Angel Garza, and WWE's fastest rising star Austin Theory. Oh, man, I could just read the WWE.com article in my head right now. Oh, my gosh. On Monday night, the WWE's fastest rising star, Austin Theory, was in action alongside the lethal Lothario, Angel Garza. Oh, man. Crazy. Man, it, it's not going to take long for those to be uh, cemented from the commentator's uh, delivery. She calls them the future of Raw and pretty much says that she wants them to take the other three's money in the bank slots. Ray says, fuck that. And they all fight and we get an impromptu six-man tag. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems like with Bliss and Miz on SmackDown, the VIP lounge kind of becomes your default Piper's Pit segment on Raw. And I have no issue with that because I think MVP does a very good job. I guess I was a little, um, like, he basically, you know, kind of poked fun at the baby faces here, but are, will they continue to do an angle with MVP and these guys? 
or was it just simply to you know be heel for the segment? I think he was more so just uh, the heel for the, the segment. But I mean, we're we're going to see later uh, with his pairing that they're certainly putting him in a kind of heel manager role now. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, on Friday we were getting the tagline. Uh, what was it? To risk it all. That was anyway tonight. The tagline they kept saying over and over again for Money in the Bank is, the risk is worth the reward. And they oh, okay. only said this a dozen times. So this seems to be the new tagline for Money in the Bank. The risk is worth the reward. Interesting. Okay. They slightly, slightly altered it. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting that a month after, um, this is one they're they're strictly promoting for WWE Network. So it wouldn't appear there's a follow-up with Fox Sports or Fight TV for, for this pay-per-view. Hmm. Right. Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, Apollo Crews against Andrade, Garza, and the WWE's fastest rising superstar, Austin Theory. Um, they had the heat on Crews for uh, a bit of time here. Uh, Samoa Joe just easing his way back into commentary, noting that Crews has been looking for momentum for a long time. In <laughs> seek of that momentum. Uh, they got in control of Aleister Black. Theory was working on his ankle. That eventually led to Ray being tagged in. Uh, Ray delivered the Toronto to Andrade. And then the pants came off. This is the thing about these Angel Garza matches. This was 15 minutes into the match. And you know the pants haven't even come off yet. So how can you get into this match concluding when the pants are still on? They, they need to book him to win some matches with the pants still on. They need to. Absolutely. They went through two commercial breaks. Heats on Ray, goes for a Cabrada. It's caught into a swinging DDT and Andrade. Cruz gets the tag. He lands on the floor. Everyone gets involved. Andrade goes for the discus elbow, only gets a two count on Cruz. And then the hammerlock DDT is countered as Cruz hits his twisting sit-out powerbomb to pin Andrade, the U.S. champion, in, wait for it, 24 minutes and 28 seconds. I celebrated a birthday in between commercial breaks here. That's how long this was. You know, these are certainly going to be longer matches, um, given, I think, a limited number of, of, of people on the roster. Um, but I thought it was a good match. You know, your main priority on these shows is to focus on your babyface tag team. In particular, I would say Aleister Black and Apollo Crews as your two pet, pet projects. And I thought all three of the babyfaces looked re- really good here. It was nice to see them give Apollo Crews the, the, the close here, the victory here. He's certainly the guy who needs the most airtime right now, and he got it on this show. He pinned the U.S. champion. And again, I think you have to really give it up to this heel team of Zelina Vegas. You know, week after week, these guys just lose and lose and lose. And each <laughs> week, Zelina has to talk them up again to feel like, a, like they're a threat, like they're important again. Not, so, not just talk them up, but try and justify them taking the money in the bank spots after their, their performances. When you, like if they had win-loss records like in AEW, I mean, it would look pretty <laughs> ridiculous. But um, they certainly provide a pretty invaluable role during this empty arena run on Raw. Listen, I like the match. It was just one, one commercial break too many. I think once you're going to two commercial breaks in these, it's really tough uh, to keep that attention at this point. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. The longer matches to me, they consistently are, it's just harder once you are going this long. And I've, I've failed to see a lengthy match really deliver in this environment. And that seems to be um, 
a commonality among these empty arena matches. Yeah, I mean, I do feel that certainly like when I don't get to fast forward through the commercials, if I'm watching it live, I definitely feel it. Today, I, I watched it on delay, so I got to zip through. And like the way I kind of watch these matches, though, I kind of watch them as like three separate matches. You know, every time somebody tags in with a different pairing, you know, you might get, uh, what is it, like Aleister Black going in there with, with um, Hector Garza, you might see uh, or Angel Garza, whatever whatever he's calling himself now. Apollo Cruz with Austin Theory. You know, like to me, they're like almost mini matches within the body of an actual longer six man. Um, so I, I just I find it interesting to try to assess, you know, how a guy like Austin Theory is doing, or in this case, how a guy like Apollo Cruz looks given this airtime. Yeah, all the attention was designed for Cruz, and that was you know the direction for the night. All night long, we got the. The top 10 defining moments of Triple H's WWE career. So here is the top 10, okay? From uh, number 10 upward. The formation of the second version of DX in 98. Then we go to his match with Sting. I just found this hilarious because of the the comedic video on Friday of all of Hunter's losses. And then here, here's the sap that actually lost to Hunter at WrestleMania. Sting, the one who probably needed it uh, and could have been one that you could have uh, forfeited. Uh, beating The Rock on the first SmackDown with the assist of Shawn Michaels and his shorts. Uh Working a hold on Trish Stratus and being caught by Stephanie. That was number seven. One of the most defining moments of his career. Uh, winning the King of the Ring in 97, which <laughs> they aired this segment. They cut back to the announcers and they look at Joe to react. And his reaction is, well, what can you say? That was a defining moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number what can, five. What can you say, really? I mean, there's no response to that. It's like, yeah. He won the King of the Ring a long time ago. Dude, number five was <laughs> the NXT invasion from last November, which, granted, was probably the best SmackDown of the year. Uh, Hunter's contribution was his promo at the end. Um, fifth most defining moment of his career. Yeah, some of these, um, I mean, these, any sort of list is going to be debated, but I, I, I certainly felt like this one kind of stood out because I, I, I not for one second felt like anybody ever considered this to be a triple h moment or certainly a moment that i think helped uh i don't know affect triple h's legacy in any meaningful way the insinuation is almost that like nxt is this guy's new dx nxt is his new evolution it's just like a big stable with him at the home but sure whatever i mean it's a way to promote nxt like it's you know then I, I don't look for accuracy when I think look for these lists. Uh, number four was him impersonating Vince McMahon during that DX reunion run, which was, oh, God, it was painful television in 2006. Number three, the formation of Evolution, the DX invasion of Nitro. And number one was tearing the quad in 2001 and his subsequent return. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was... Uh... Yeah, whatever. It's a nice collection of Triple H moments. I, maybe, you know, were there any that were glaring on the list? Because I felt like we might have been able to... I, I thought they might have shown, like, WrestleMania X8, which was his big WrestleMania babyface win. But I guess that kind of ties into the, the MSG appearance as well. Yeah, I mean, um, his, his, uh, that U2 music video, that might be it right there. That was number one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, yeah. They just couldn't air the video. 
Backstage, Andrade is upset. Charlie interrupts. Charlie was just nosy all night long, and he said that his partners let him down, and Apollo cannot beat him in a title match. So Cruz walks in. He says he can beat Andrade again. He can do it twice in one night. So Andrade returns, and dude, maybe this was the WWE's subtle promotion for uh, the Dr. D. David Schultz episode of Dark Side of the Ring tomorrow night, but Andrade got slapped like he was John Stossel in 1984. He got slapped like like Robin. Whew. Yeah. Um that was awesome. You know, Cruz was absolutely given a chance on this show to be able to showcase a level of personality he hasn't been given a chance to throughout his entire WWE run and I thought it started absolutely well it started with the match, but I thought it was almost like this was really the moment that I think stands out to me the most from this show. For Apollo Crews. It was this huge, huge slap. Slap the shit out of him. You know, definitely got me to pay attention. Among the most attitude and personality I've seen from Apollo Crews. He's probably had this slap in him ever since Daniel Bryan called him Apollo Creed that time on SmackDown. Wow. Yeah, perhaps. Asuka, Nia Jax, and Shayna Baszler. Uh, the match didn't even start. Um, we had Asuka cut a promo screaming. They also showed highlights of Nia Jax murdering Kyrie Sane last week, including the tree slam in the corner. Baszler comes out and pulls Asuka to the floor. They just fight on the floor amongst the ladders that are there for the set. And Jax tosses one of the ladders into the ring, uses it on both Baszler and Asuka, sending them to the floor, lifts up the ladder. I was about to scream if she was going to just drop this ladder onto the two on the floor, but she just tipped it behind her into the ring and her music played. And that ended this. I was really confused when the music played. Like I, I didn't know if it was supposed to be a DQ or what, you know, um, stuff like this kind of happens all the time, doesn't it? And then it just leads right into a match. So I thought that it was really, um, you know, I mean, ultimately it was just another bait and switch, wasn't it? I, and, and that stuff gets really annoying because you see it so often. You know, if you're going to do this, at least provide some sort of explanation for a finish. I thought it was a real cop-out just to end the segment by playing music and expecting your audience to just accept it. Yeah, and I think also just not wanting, you know, on paper to, to beat either of these women, but... It's Don't like, why book it even, at all? Uh, like, you know... Well, like that's, you, you, that's, I mean, it was not even impromptu. Like, they, they plugged this, like, all afternoon. Like, this was the match they... This was the only match promoted for tonight's Raw. I mean, ultimately, if you know you're going to do this finish, you're just leaving your audience disappointed, right? Well, it was it was short. It really didn't leave any any kind of impact uh, on the show. There was a total Bella's promo. Bree feels that her and Brian are drifting apart. Yeah. Lashley is with Lana backstage. He wants to go out alone. Why? Because you're so hot, Lana. You distract me. I can't concentrate. So Lana says, okay, and Lashley goes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he basically makes up an excuse to get her to stop bothering him when he's out there. So after last week's tire stuff, they're picking back the Lana storyline back up. Yeah, we had to take a break to lift some tires last week. Yeah, really not, not sure what the point of the tires was. <laughs> for us to get that show title, that's what it was for. Yes. Bobby Lashley versus Denzel Dejournet. Mm-hmm. The return of Denzel. Lashley got his own slap in here. Uh, 
did a leapfrog, vertical suplex, spear. He won in a minute 43. The idea here is that when Lana's not around, this guy's a killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a Lana's nice... holding him down. Yeah, yeah. Nice squash. I thought they gave Desjardins a, a little bit of fire, but not too much. And then it prompted Lashley to respond with a great deal of added aggression, finished him in about a minute and a half. Um, I like Desjardins. He's good. I mean, um, amateur wrestler who was uh, like an All-American. Um, yeah, he's it. been... That's that's kind of it. Um, you know, getting a, a regular... He's on he's on the regular rotation now of uh, guys getting killed. All these jobbers are like pretty good. Everize. Everize that they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're kind of like... Look at Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne. They're getting like a, a spot now, it feels like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played the Battlegrounds trailer, and then we got, got our rematch. There were so many unanswered questions after their last match. So we got Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, part two. The <laughs> Riot gets caught out of the corner and dropped face first, and Byron says, Liv has been able to block out the noise, block out the slander. She's being slandered, apparently. Riot then hits her with the Riot kick, and Liv kicks out. And Ruby had to do the, oh, my God, I'm so shocked face for a long time. It was very awkward. Morgan can't get to her feet. And then she gets her hand stomped. And Ruby's just telling her, you made me do it. It's like, made you do what? The riot kick? She's fine. She's okay. She survived the riot kick. And then out of nowhere, Morgan hits her with the oblivion which is the flatliner off the rope and pins Ruby for the second time in two minutes, 54 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when the match started, I was like, what, you know, asking why we were seeing it again, because I thought last week was pretty conclusive. I felt like last week was like, like you know, the end of like this whole ride squad storyline. This will take us into June. Uh, we shall see. It could, it could very, be very possible. But I mean, I, I you know, after watching the match, I really can't get mad at it. I felt like this was just simply another chance for Liv to showcase herself, likely against the person she's practiced the most with. I I think these two have gotten like their chemistry down pretty smoothly. Um, I th- I really feel like Liv continues to show that her practice is really paying off, and I think that finisher looks great. So then Byron gets into the ring and asks her. Is this the start of a new chapter for Liv Morgan? And Liv says, I've had so many chapters, and there's so many more. A lot of people my age, I'm just trying to find out who I am, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'm confident that I'm going to figure it out. Well, um, I was just saying this the other day to somebody, these exact words. Someone was asking me, John... Is this the start of a new chapter for for John Pollock? It's like you know what, I've I've had a lot of chapters, but you know, a lot of people my age, I'm just trying to find out who I am. Yeah, um, I guess their character now is that she's like a lost, like a millennial who's lost. She's kinda. going to she's going to university and she's she hasn't declared her major. Pretty much, yeah. It's sort of a weird setting to like talk about your. Mental state, I suppose, but okay. It was a little awkward. Um, but uh, I guess this was their way of trying to relate to a younger audience. You know, This felt like an older person <laughs> writing dialogue for a young person. Sure, yeah. 
I mean, like, I, I, I equate Liv Morgan, like, to me, the closest person I can think of that is the Liv Morgan character they are striving for is Braden. And I could never imagine Braden in a million years saying anything about trying to figure things out that people my age are trying to do. So what should Liv say instead? I I would imagine that Liv could say this in her own way. That would sound way more normal than what this sounded like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could also just be talking about the character itself, because I would say the character probably is still trying to discover itself. I mean, it, it recently debuted as... Wait a minute, what wasn't all the vignettes, the idea that she does have it all figured out now? She's the new... It's the new Liv Morgan. Well, she thought she did, and then she came back as, you know, some uh, like a long-lost lover of Lana's. And that went nowhere. Turned into a, a brief Ruby Riot feud, and then here we are. So I would definitely say that... Her she's, having, she's having her best run. Seems like mm. she's figured it out. I don't know about that. It's definitely not been that smooth. So. I well, don't know. Charlie is with Nia Jax. And she says, a lot of people are talking about your actions tonight. She asks Charlie, what can you do about it? Nothing. Oscar and Shayna, what can they do about it? Nothing. What can anyone do about it? Nothing! Yeah, yeah. I feel like we've had this Naya. We haven't seen this version of Naya. Oh, this is hyena while, right? screaming Naya. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty awful and not really in like, you know, heel way, but. She owes whatever. me 50 bucks for new speakers on my laptop because one of the sides is completely shot. Um, I kind of. It's 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 so strange because like I just heard Naya talk about criticism on her pot on the what is it um what's her oh name? on the uh, pages, the, the pa- uh, pa- pages stream pages stream so it, you know it's kind of weird for me to criticize but like she talked about basically how criticism is really tough to handle and I completely understand you know um as we get criticized too for like our podcast and it's you can get a lot of compliments but um. You know, they were talking about how, like, the one piece of negative feedback you get is the one that you kind of fixate on. And I would hate to be a contributor to that. But at the same time, like, I just sometimes really think her stuff is just not good. And um, this is one of those instances. I, I listen to that as well. And listen, I certainly sympathize with a lot of these performers. And I have no doubt that being a female performer, they are subject to just god-awful things that they must see on their timeline on a daily basis. I can only imagine. To me, there is fair criticism that when it comes to uh, performances, what they're doing on the show, I think as uh, as a performer on this show, that does come with the territory. I have no misgivings about criticism on a performance that is being put out um, for that that reaction to either be applauded or to be panned. I mean, that is, that's what comes here where you cross a line and it is stuff directed about um, things that are just completely inappropriate. And wh- whether it is, you know, what she was mentioning about her size and stuff like that, that's completely uncalled for. But I, we, we do not live in this world where we are just free of criticism. And that goes, you know, for you and I on a smaller scale and for, 
what you do here on this show. I think there that is well within the bounds of fair play. Mm-hmm. Viking Raiders. There was no karaoke this week. They say those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And they cut a promo on the Street Profits. And I think they're, they're talking sh- about themselves. <laughs> yeah, it might have been here. Um, they say that their shared history tells the truth. That the Street Profits won the NXT titles after they relinquished them. And they won the Raw tag titles while they were injured and unable to compete. You've never been able to beat us and only risen to the top because we haven't been around. You may possess the titles, but we know the truth that you will only be second best. And we dare you to prove us wrong because we want the smoke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this was very much more of a, I would say, like a reversion to the Viking Raiders that we've always had. Um, Didn't get the sense that these were the same carpool karaoke guys who were, you know, just basically real people who think that they're Vikings. I guess they could still, you know, go with it. But they certainly were treating this as more of a typical pro wrestling, you know, promo, which... You still you, you still have the problem of these guys feeling kind of generic without a personality when they just do their gimmick. But I think generic is way better than what we had last week. Yeah, I think coming off of last week, this was a this was a home run in comparison. Um, you know, I like the fact that they used the, the history with the Street Profits to set up this match. And you have a reason for this match happening. Yeah. Then we were warned coming up next, the return of Jinder Mahal. And here is Jinder taking on the the one and Akira Tozawa in the interim cruiserweight title tournament, who was super kicked, tossed in the barricade, Samoan drop, and hit with the Coloss in one thirty six. Jinder Mahal is back, and get those running shoes on because someone's getting ready for a big run. Seems like it. You know, he looked a little slimmer to me. Did Did you feel that way? A little bit. Yep. Yeah. Um, shaved head. You know, slightly different look. I'm actually kind of happy to see Jinder back. You know, I feel like it's been a while, and I think they need more guys who could be perceived at a high level. And, you know, not in-ring performances aside, I mean, I think they will try to stick with the fact that this guy's a former champion and try to get him back at that level, because I certainly see them trying to build to a, a feud with Drew McIntyre based off of oh, their, boy. their friendship and, you know, the 3MB connection. That's what I thought, too. Um, they're really low on heels. And your options are beyond Seth. It's like Bobby Lashley. Um, yeah, I think you've you've run the gamut with Zelina's crew. Like mm-hmm. they're kind of out of the picture. Uh, that's what I thought too with Jinder Mahal. It's like, man, you've got this backstory. Drew's going to need opponents. Um, would not surprise me if by the time we get to the summer, that Jinder Mahal is being um, put into a title program. Yeah. Vegas with Andrade and Charlie and Zelina just shuts down Charlie saying, you go through me. You do not talk to Andrade anymore. And then Angel Garza walks in, says Charlie's very professional, but asks if they can get better acquainted. And Charlie is just swooning over him as he hands her a rose. Yeah. So. Is their date going to go better than Otis and Mandy's? Maybe this is going to be the raw follow up. Well, where, where can they go? All the restaurants are closed. Yeah, they'll have to get takeout, or maybe they can um, uh, Uber Eats. They mm-hmm. can deliver to Raw. Yeah. 
maybe um yeah a, a quarantine romance between these two. Mm-hmm. I wonder if um get, maybe they can be on table for three for their date with Angel Garza's fiance. That'd be weird. Could have a meal together, get all hmm. their um, differences out. Andrade Apollo Cruz for the United States title, accompanied by my mint tea. Joe says potential can be a curse. No one remembers a potential champion. And the commentary here really building up Apollo Cruz. And Cruz applies his front chancery, and then they get dumped into the ropes for the break. Uh, Andrade starts attacking the knee that Cruz is selling. They go through the commercial. Cruz does what could best be described as the Kurt Angle comeback, selling his knee, hits an Olympic slam, then a belly-to-belly suplex, and then he's fired up. He just didn't have the straps to put down. Goes for a standing moonsault, gets a two-count, Andrade then comes back, hits the double knees, lands a DDT uh, to counter Cruz's military press. The hammerlock DDT gets stopped. Cruz hits a slam, and then he goes to the top, misses with the splash, and his knee is just hurt too badly. And the referee is looking at him, wincing in pain, and the referee calls it off at 16 minutes and 47 seconds as Andrade is ruled the winner by TKO. He he hurt his knee off of a mood salt from the apron to the floor. Well, that was to go to the commercial, but then the final spot was off the top. Oh, I meant like to start the injury. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, um, you know, under the circumstances, uh, I really don't dislike the finish at all. Uh, Andrade has been beating the shit lately, and I don't think you wanted a title change for Cruz heading into Money in the Bank anyway. Um, and they wanted to give Cruz a really gutsy out here. I thought it, this match was tremendous for Apollo Cruz. It honestly may have been Apollo's most significant match on WWE TV. Like last week in the match with MVP, I definitely thought Cruz, you know, as usual, showed great athleticism. But I've always felt like he was missing the ability to really display charisma and babyface fire. And I thought this week, this match in particular, totally defeated that criticism. This was an episode where Apollo Crews was finally able to showcase, I think, like, you know, a full babyface potential. He has the athleticism. He's got the shooting star presses of the moonsault. But on this episode, was able to t- display not only, like, that, like, co- cocky confidence, like when he slapped Andrade... Here, like, he was also able to play, like, angry. Uh, he was able to be a great underdog, selling that knee, digging deep for that gutsy fire as he tries to struggle with that injury. I thought he showed more range in, like, these three hours than his entire WWE career. So, overall, I thought they did a fantastic job and a lot of credit to Andrade. He wrestled a great match here, dragged, dragged a lot of great emotions out of Apollo Crews. I, I thought that the handling of Apollo was very good tonight. I give it I give it a B. I don't give it an A. Um I think that certainly the, the the slap stuff with Andrade was very good. The the matches were fine. I really didn't like the crying segment at the end. I think that that is not the way I want to portray Apollo right now. But I didn't think it was, um, you know, negated all the good that was done for him on this show either. It just seemed like an odd light to place him in afterwards. I can get like selling the devastation of the loss or vowing to come back. But to me, like... On the verge of tears, I just didn't think that segment worked. Yeah, crying, I think, is really tough to pull off, um, you know, especially convincingly. And it's hard to look really cool when you're doing it. At the same time, it's like, man, it's 2020. A man can show some emotions. I It really, to me, depends on the follow-up. 
the Street Profits are backstage, and I was just about to write how I can't stand these two at this point because I'm getting ready for them to go into their usual routine. They're talking about them doing cosplay, karaoke, but then they actually got serious and um, – Talk, uh, talked about the Viking Raiders not being wrong about their assertions. Um, Dawkins told them to get on Spotify after karaoke. Um, and then Montez Ford just cut a pretty serious promo at the end to build up the tag title match. So I did not I did not hate this, but the, the Street Profits have a lot of uh, a lot of um, improvement, I think, to make um, in my mind. Uh, they're already fantastic. I mean, they were fantastic before they got the raw at a time, but that that is long gone to me. Like well, these yeah. two are like channel changing um, so, turn off for me. So I don't know if it's improvement or just you know some sort of like uh, regression that they need to get back to that state. Because um, yeah, since they've been on raw, they've definitely been pretty disappointing. Um, it's fine. Both both the Viking Raiders and the Prophets last week. That was rock bottom in my mind for both of them. With these two on commentary, that was death last week. I hated that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, both teams were a bit more serious this week. We had a clip of Becky on twenty four, and she's been absent this whole time. We haven't seen her since WrestleMania, have we? Um, I don't remember. I definitely know she might have come out for a promo. I can't remember, but. I- um, she's got nothing lined up for Money in the Bank. I think the show after WrestleMania, I'm pretty sure she was there. Um, she wasn't there last week and then not on this week. Ricochet and Cedric versus Everrise, Chase Parker and Matt Martell. Uh, short match. Um, they got the heat on Ricochet early on. He made the tag to Cedric, who made this great comeback with a Tornado DDT. Then there was a standing shooting star by Ricochet. Martell dove in for the save. Ricochet then super kick Parker. There's a drop kick off the ropes by Ricochet into a flatliner delivered by Alexander to pin Parker in four minutes, eight seconds. You know, the more the weeks pass, the more I forget that Ricochet was ever in consideration for being a single star. So the less disappointed I get and the more I can appreciate the quality of this really excellent tag team. Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoy their matches each week. Um, They're just fun, quick tag matches uh, mm-hmm. with these two they're great together i mean they had they had chemistry uh, in match one together it took them no time to gel together as a team yeah i it almost makes you wish that you know ricochet's debut or even cedric's debut was in this form if they're actually going to book them seriously like this mvp's on the screen he says he has a keen eye for talent and the nfl draft got him thinking and in walks Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne. They said that last week's win was a fluke. He sees box office platinum for a rematch with Ricochet and Cedric Alexander, who nod and apparently agree to this. So Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne look to be uh, at least, um, whether it be short-term or long-term, attached to MVP for the time being. Like of all the people they could pair with MVP... Of all the people that they can bring up from NXT, I I really I guess I'm I'm a little surprised that they decided to choose Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what this means. Is this is this an actual call up or is this simply you know just another set of bodies for Ricochet and Cedric to beat? Uh, and then you know they kind of go back to the to the background. It, it's a good question, but I would say you know for for all the the, the repeated mentions of the fact that. 
It's voluntary. You don't have to do these shows. If you're a mid-card guy and you're watching this, you're watching this and thinking, man, I am giving up my spot here. And these spots are getting filled. And these do not feel like they're just – like look at the – look at – um, well, Austin, Theory. Austin Theory, and look at you know other. I mean, it's a spot. At the same time, the guy's pretty much like he's the fall guy of the group, and I, I don't, I don't really see that being too different for Shane Thorne and Brendan Bink. Um, we'll see. This did not feel like this is just a throwaway squash match next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, then we had the Cruz. He's on the crutches here. Charlie is so sorry for him, and he's about to cry, and then he leaves. Without saying a word. I wonder if they'll do a tease of him being taken out of money in the bank and then ha- having him like sort of do the baby face comeback type of thing. Um, I do feel like this whole thing, at least I hope, is a setup for him to ultimately either win the U.S. title or even the money in the bank. But of course, I could be wrong about that. Jerry Lawler's out for the contract signing, and he goes over the concept of this year's money in the bank match at the headquarters to set up the contract signing that has nothing to do with the headquarters. Yes. So Rollins comes out in a suit along with his black glove. This felt like um, low rent Loki. Okay. Then Drew comes out. Drew tells Lawler to leave because he knows how this is going to end. And Jerry responded, I flew all the way for this. (laughs) It's been three minutes. Drew immediately signs the contract. Seth is hesitating, and he tells Drew, I don't want to do this, but I have to do it. He tells Drew, you will be a great champion someday, and you're an honorable man, but you're not a leader like me. I can be the light in the darkness. I will suffer for that title so you don't have to. This is my burden to carry, not yours. I will lead you as well. Um. This segment became became my burden to recap uh, as Seth was just droning on and on. Drew thankfully takes over and tells Seth, "What you are is full of shit." And the best the best moment here was they did a zoom in on Seth to react to this, and you just saw the zoom. And Drew asks, "Where are your followers now?" I will not let you win this title. And what you need to do is stop talking forever. No one wants to hear you talk ever. Not here, not backstage, not online. Because when you do, you tend to get your foot stuck in your mouth while also at the same time getting your head stuck in your ass. And when you come for me, here's my advice. Go for the throat because that's what I'm going for. Rollins signs the contract And he goes to tell Drew to have faith when Drew just drills him face first into the table. I thought he was just going to, like, absolutely lay this dude out. He hits him with a Glasgow kiss, and then we get the countdown. And right before he can say uh, DX Invasion Quad Tear, Murphy jumps him. And Murphy lays out Drew McIntyre. He's down. Murphy and Rollins in this silent performance center stare at one another. The emotions that they were sharing from their facial reactions. Um, my God, it could. Um, 
I don't really have the capabilities of describing the this deep emotional connection or reconnection that these two established. Seth then gets out of the way as Drew comes back to life and hits the Claymore on, on Murphy. And Seth leaves as Drew calls Murphy the sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think Drew continues to sound really good. He's just such a super confident baby face. He's also a good guy, but he's not a- above like talking shit to heels in order to match their level of wit, which is so awesome. Um, I think they're. I love the fact that they're scripting him to like be the first to attack. He's coming across like such a badass, and um, you know, you kind of contrast that with. Seth Rollins, who is, you can argue, is playing, you know, perfectly fine heel for, for Drew to beat down. Um, I This whole Messiah thing, I think, I, I'm really happy. To, it's terrible, man. It's I, terrible. Yeah, at this point, I would almost rather, like, the Seth Rollins that he was before this um, to come back. Because I, I just, yeah, he's, it, it's, it's a really try-hard gimmick that just, oh, man. It just isn't working. So, you know, uh, like they have a match coming up. Let uh, Drew, I think, will win. And then I hope this means a, a further retooling for Seth. But um, for one cycle, why not? Let's just see it through. Oh, I, I think this one has to go at least two. Just with the depth situation. Um, yeah, could be. I mean, we've we've got this and then whatever the June pay-per-view is. I mean, it's... Um, I think I think that this probably gets stretched into another. Um, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. I'm not so much concerned about the match. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, it's in this uh, empty arena, but nonetheless, the match is the least concerning. But I just I I have not enjoyed this this Seth character. Drew carried this a hundred percent this segment for me. Yeah, yeah, he's great. So I guess next week we might get Murphy for Drew. That made sense. Yeah, which I'll tell you this: going into tonight's Raw. We had, like, prior to this afternoon, all we had was the contract signing. That's all that's announced. They've taped next week's Raw. And with the numbers where they're at, I don't think there's any excuse not to announce at least most of the lineup ahead of time. You can't announce everything because some of your matches you're going to make with an impromptu challenge on the show that you can't announce ahead of time. But most you can announce. And I think that should be the silver lining of all these taped shows is you know what's coming up. And like that's why I think tonight tonight's show is going to be the lowest even further down from last week because – all you had to hook you to tune in tonight was a contract signing. If you weren't online to know about the three-way, that never even happened tonight. That was your hook to spend three hours tonight. And when we're hitting record lows, you're you're almost just giving people the opening to just skip this because we have nothing to reel you in. They just announced on uh, Twitter that Apollo <laughs> Crews is out of the men's money in the bank ladder match due to knee injury. Is what the story is. Well, there you go. Yeah. So by doing that injury, I mean, that does, um, it makes sense to take him out. So you can get away with doing another qualifying match next week. And probably, probably one of Zelina's guys gets in, you would think. You would think, yeah. I mean, it's certainly disappointing, but, but you know, that's the storyline. The disappointment of not being able to see Apollo Crews compete in a Money in the Bank ladder match. And you would think that this would lead to some sort of rematch with Andrade for the U.S. title. 
Yeah, I think they're going in that direction. Like, they seem to be all behind Apollo at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I wonder how the audience will react. I mean, you know, will they kind of... <laughs> Silence, get- dude. It's going to be crickets. I guarantee it. <laughs> I mean, I guess I meant the online audience. So, you know, will they consider this as a further burial of a talent like Apollo Crews and therefore get behind him that much more? Um I mean, ultimately, I think it, it's all beneficial. And I think, you know, more time and more focus on Apollo Crews, any sort of storyline, is going to be beneficial for him. All right, let's go to the forum. Tonight's show garnered a 6 out of 10. Paul from New Jersey writes, Hey, guys, couldn't stay away. Very much enjoyed the promo work of MVP and Zelina Vega. Although I haven't watched wrestling in over a month, I cannot tell you how tired I am of hearing about DX and the NWO. The Money in the Bank concept is pretty intriguing. Let's just hope nobody from tonight's show gets released, as that would seem to be callous. Hope all is well, and very much enjoyed the John Moxley interview. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you mm-hmm. for checking Great that out. Great job with that, John. Um, and also we have uh, Andrew Thompson talking to Christian Cage. That's right. It's Christian. I called him Christian Cage. Uh, Well, at one time was Christian Cage. Uh, Yeah, he's got a a lengthy chat with Christian, um, who's also part of this Cage Fighter film, but talks about a ton of subjects with them. Uh, The Un-Americans run, um, just a whole slew of topics. So uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. That'll be up Tuesday morning on the site with Andrew. What what do you expect of this D, uh, Triple H thing? I mean, um, are we going to get a culmination on NXT, and what what does that entail? I thought we were getting an appearance tonight from him. That's what it seemed to be leading well, up to. How we, do you top the Friday appearance? <laughs> or come? How do you do worse as well? Um, yeah, you would think it should culminate. Although they didn't promote it at all for NXT this week. All yeah. they promoted was um, Keith Lee, Damian Priest. And Charlotte Mia Yim. That was all that they. It's like if you're going to do this thing, like advertise it. I, it really felt like Friday was like the big celebration, right? I don't <laughs> know how you do a bigger angle than having Vince McMahon come out and just shit the bed on TV. Oh, like Vince that. McMahon interrupting one of the cruiserweight matches and just ending it, like he did to <laughs> that uh, that Rhino to Jerry match at that house show. Right. Um, yeah. No. I guess we'll see if if there's any integration on 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 NXT. We got Alex from Portland who says, In 2020, WWE let Rusev go and is pushing Apollo Crews. Color me surprised. I get that WWE released a lot of talents a few weeks back at a, as a cost-cutting measure, but it's felt like we've been seeing the same exact guys on TV over and over and over and over. Maybe it was just this episode, but everything felt stale and overused. I wouldn't mind a week where we don't see Andrade's group, whatever they're called. Can we start calling them Los Ingobernables de Jobber? Because they sure do though lose a lot. After seeing them lose last week in singles matches and then in the six band tonight, they're getting go-home heat with me. On a positive note, I'm glad WWE is bringing up the pass for the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders. Here's hoping they get the main event raw. Question, do you think we'll see or hear from Velveteen Dream on NXT this week? I think they're going to continue business as usual with Velveteen Dream unless there's a development in this um whatever third-party investigation is going on. I think for the time being, they're just going to move forward with it. I could be wrong, but that's that's my guess. Yeah, I think so too. I think if they... It, yeah, yeah. I, I can't really speak for them, but it. Yeah, I, I expect him to be on. I think, I think if, it, if he wasn't... Um, 
Well, I, I, I should take that back. I don't think they would have uh, announced anything. Um, it'll be something to watch Wednesday if it's if he's not on there. I think it'd be noteworthy because of the fact here's the guy who just pinned Adam Cole last week. You would think that he would be heavily focused upon because he's in a big angle. What was what? What do you know of uh, the whole Finn Balor thing? Why was he off TV? I don't know what the story was there about about Finn. Um, and why they changed things. Because that was promoted all week long for the match with Dream, and then they just changed it. So I don't know if there was some issue with um, with, with Balor not being available, uh, but I, I don't know what the story was. That one was certainly strange. And um, yeah. if we see another random locker room attack this week for Velveteen Dream, I guess that's always a possibility. And last is Andrew from Cape Breton. It can't help the prestige of the Cruiserweight title when one of the top contenders in a title tournament is cannon fodder every week. Then again, this is the same tournament where they fired one of the participants. I also wasn't a fan of the Triple H stuff tonight, mostly because it makes me feel old. I know this comes up whenever they do anniversary deals, but when I was nine in 1995, I don't think they would have been doing specials for people who were around in 1970. Imagine being nine right now, thinking this Jack guy is really old. And then there's poor Apollo Crews. Maybe it's my pessimism, but this guy is the definition of a start and stop push. I had my doubts with Kofi Kingston, and I was eventually proven wrong for a few months. Anyway, five out of ten. The usual fare for the PC shows. I think you're right to be pessimistic. I mean, it's... Not the first time they've given Apollo a brief push. So we shall see how long this one lasts. Yeah. Um, listen, there, you know, what uh, one of the pieces of feedback there was about, you know, wanting to give it a rest on Zelina's crew. It's like, if they're not there, who are in those spots? Like, this is not the, the deepest lineup that you are drawing from. This was another week, by the way, with no Orton, with no Kevin Owens. Uh, Becky Lynch has not been on for a few weeks. Um, so it's not like they are operating at full capacity either uh, with some of their big talent. AJ Styles is still off. So mm. it's, a, it's a lot of the um, key people that were involved at WrestleMania on the Raw side that they are without at the moment. Yeah, I would imagine you would see a lot of them, I mean, after this money in the bank cycle. But um, I would be ru- I would be rushing AJ back after money in the bank. I mean, you want to sell the Boneyard step, but... Um, to me, I, I would be rushing them back after, once you get through this pay-per-view cycle. Did you know that they're selling the dirt now from that <laughs> Boneyard match framed? Wow. So they're, um, they're, they're going to monetize that match every, every way possible. Mm-hmm. Well, you so. could buy canvas, you know, in, in the past for significant matches. Why not dirt? Yeah. Um, Many many mementos that can come out of that. What what could they sell from the Funhouse? Hmm. Funhouse. Um. Uh, John Cena's old shorts. Yeah, just cut up the shorts and then uh, just just hack up the shorts and uh, and sell that. Lots of merchandise ideas. Yeah. His NWO shirt. Oh yeah, right. The NWO shirt. Um. And beyond that, um. It, it doesn't really jump out at you like little um, items from that that segment, the boneyard match. I mean, there's so much you can take from there. The hearse, sure, yeah, monetize everything. I mean, I can't wait for the boneyard match playset. Honestly, like that's what that battlegrounds game should be. Boneyards, two K boneyards. I mean, it kind of is like you, you know, you light up 
like the like people have powers it seems got animals i mean yep. god could you imagine if it was a tiger eating them i mean that would be more timely it would be it would be or a snake could be as well. Yes. We're going to be chatting about snakes and their danger to giants on our Saturday night's main event review. That's dropping on Tuesday evening. So look out for that. Um, also, Dino Bravo's on that show. Mm-hmm. Again, very timely. Mm-hmm. Did you watch The Last Dance this weekend? I did. Yeah. Episodes three and four came out. Yeah. Three and four are out. These ones, I guess, the major themes. Uh, we focused on Dennis Rodman for a portion Phil Jackson, the that Detroit Pistons team that is really centered as like the very big, uh, the first major rivalry for Jordan en route to the 1991 win and Scottie Pippen the, uh, and Scottie Pippen as well. Mm-hmm. Who comes off? I don't care who comes off well. Who comes off the worst in this? Our candidates being, uh, I, I I put Isaiah Thomas at, at the top. Our, oh, our Toronto Raptors front man at one point. Um, I would say Isaiah Thomas is the total villain in in this uh, group of episodes. I mean, I would say it's the entire Detroit Pits, Pistons of that era. Um, but maybe maybe because I, Isaiah Thomas led the team, certainly nobody came across well the moment that they left the court, did not shake the hands of the Bulls. See, I didn't have a problem with that. Did, did, I understand it's uh, frowned upon. I think if you have that level of of a rivalry, I can I can respect that they just walk off and, and they don't they don't want to shake that hands. I don't agree rivalry, with it. Who 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 determines the, what level of rivalry uh, you know denotes a, a lack of shaking of hands? Because they do. Jordan and the they're Bulls, the team. Well, Jordan and the Bulls shook shook their hands. The, the past well, they're better years. people. They're 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 better sportsmen. That's what but we're I, I can't say that these people who play to the death. And they just can't uh, shake the hand at the end. That does not disqualify them in my in my books. Okay, well, I guess if I had to pick a lead heel, it would it would be that team. Um, who do you side with with the whole Scottie Pippen situation? Like of of him getting uh, getting his surgery done. Oh, the surgery! I thought you were going to talk about the migraine. To me, two different things: the surgery, because that's more episode two. They kind of. Delve into that. I, I guess that that well, wasn't episode over three. Episode three. I guess they they, they wrapped that up at the beginning. Uh, the surgery that was a bullshit move on Pippin's part. I, I don't care how much you feel you're underpaid, and he absolutely was. That said, did it, did any cash did any check not clear? I mean, that team paid you what was the agreed upon value. You took a great gamble signing such a long term deal. That you were not willing to take the risk of getting hurt during that time period, and that team supplied your livelihood and helped support you. I thought it was a bullshit move not to get the surgery done, and the team ends up paying the price for you to have your great summer of 97. What did this dude do in the summer of 97? That's what I want to know. Summer of Did he go on a trip? What did he do? Oh, what did he yeah. do with this this summer that was worth missing the first half of the season? Maybe he was uh, uh, watching basketball. If you were in that position, wouldn't you just want to get the surgery over with? Like to me, why would I want this this thing looming? Like I would just want to attack the rehab, get it done with as fast as I could. I wouldn't want to have this thing lingering for for two months 
that I've got a surgery coming up at the end of this and the whole world, or at least all of Chicago is going to hate me for this. Um, depends how bad, the, how bad the injury was. I mean, it took him out for so, some time. I think he comes off very poor in that regard. The migraine thing, I don't blame him at all. Like to me, that's, I can understand the, uh, the level of competitor that Michael Jordan is, but to me, this this guy was debilitated by the by this migraine. It just unfortunately hit him um, in a very inopportune time. Yeah, uh, this was all episode two, right? No, I think this is more covered in episode three, isn't it? Where we get into the migraine. I can't recall now. You just watched these two. Didn't three you? was three was all Rodman. Not all Rodman. It was like the uh, a good portion. Rodman, yeah, because they, they they the cliffhanger is him going off to Vegas, so that part gets re- gets resumed. All the episodes are now blending towards me, but I haven't I haven't watched anything past four, so I'm I'm not speaking ahead of turn. Well, how could you? Well, yeah, they haven't they haven't come out yet. Um, in, in fairness, I, I think half the world's seen the first eight episodes. Oh really? Like I can't go on my timeline without people talking about how many episodes they've watched. So yeah. it's like they're they're they don't seem to be um you know state secrets here. Um, how about Dennis Rodman and how he's he's handled and your overall impression on on this figure of Dennis Rodman and all this uh, attention he still receives to this day? Uh, incredibly fascinating, of course. Um, I think what surprised me was not only the fact that he was such a such a personality, such a unique personality, but also the fact that he was such a great integral part of this team and a really a performer uh, on the court. Yeah. Um, I listened to the, this interview with the director and this guy, they waited on him for two hours to show up and he has like 10 pages of questions for him and he shows up and his immediate thing is, so what's this for again? And they explain, well, we're doing a 10-hour documentary on the on the final Bulls team of this dynasty. Gives them the whole pitch. He's like, 10 hours, huh? I'll give you guys 10 minutes. Hmm. And he ended up doing a lot more with them. But he made uh, – his demands were a, um, a tuna sandwich from Subway and a chamomile tea. So he too wanted a tea. So hmm. that, I guess, got him in the, in the talking mood and they got what they could out of him. But um, – I mean, in 2020, Dennis Rodman, I mean, playing hard to get. It's like, I don't know. He'd be lucky, I guess. I mean, he'd, I mean, this documentary, it's, it's great that they have him in here. He becomes one of the focused upon figures. Um, and then I guess the rest is, you know, really analyzing the, the, the Pistons rivalry. And then conversely, like the passing of the torch from Magic to Jordan that it's the complete opposite of the Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan um, relationship that here is magic Johnson. That is just the, the ultimate uh, good guy in this whole thing. And just notes that, you know, he's been surpassed. His Lakers have been surpassed and the bulls are the team of the future. Is this still episode three? This was into episode four. Ah, right. Sure. Yeah. It's all a blur. I don't know. It's it was only the. I mean, we talked about the first two. These were these were the last two. Um, favorite character so far. Quick before we move on, who who's who's standing out for you the most? Besides Michael Jordan. 
Besides Michael Jordan, yeah, the supporting cast. Um, trying to think. I love Phil Jackson in this. I love hearing from Phil Jackson. Yeah, yeah, he comes across pretty well. Um, who else? Um, besides Phil Jackson, um, there there was only a little bit of Horace Grant in it, but he he had some good lines in this, especially talking about um the the Bulls Pistons rivalry. Um. Not so much a standout, but I've always been a big John Sally fan, mainly from his Raptors days. But he's he's in this quite a bit. And uh, besides that, to me, honestly, like the Pippin stuff is the stories and the events that he's involved with are rather interesting. But him himself, I mean, this dude is dry as sand. Yeah, yeah. Um It's always sort of a, a bit of a contrast between him and I think Michael Jordan, you know. It's yeah. He very much feels like sort of a ah. I, I don't want to say sidekick, but like you know, certainly a bit of a background player, not just in terms of basketball, but also in terms of charisma. Uh, are you a fan as a uh, as an editor? Are you a fan of the? Hey, Michael. Here's what Isaiah had to say, and the passing of the iPad. I think it's great. Yeah, it's excellent. Gets a way better reaction out of them when they actually hear it. Hmm. Get to see their reaction. Yeah. That was our trick with Brett. Didn't have footage, so he can watch the footage. We'll get him to react to the footage. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there we go. The last dance. Um, what, what do you think's in store for episodes uh, five and six? What are you hoping for? Um, maybe a bit of um, Kobe Bryant. Oh, yeah. I heard, um, yeah, he's a big part of episode five. Yes, I believe so. And I think a bit more of uh, Isaiah Thomas as well and the Dream Team. More Isaiah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you can't have enough Isaiah. Actually, the uh, the 30 for 30 that they did on that, that Piston squad was uh, TSN was re-airing it. I think it was tonight. I had set my DVR to record it. So Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Also, uh, TSN, not that I'm uh, just plugging TSN here. On Wednesday night, I don't. I'm sure this is just by coincidence, but they're putting uh, that movie from 2014, The Million Dollar Arm, which is about Rinku Singh, the new guy in NXT. They're airing it Wednesday at 8 p.m. head to head with AEW and NXT. Yes, I heard about that too. Very interesting. All right, thank you to everybody for tuning in, learning all about the world. Our review of Raw piercings uh man we we covered the gamut scotty pippen the pistons isaiah thomas it's really all there is to know in the world right now anything else you're watching i watched the beastie boys documentary over the weekend oh how was that it was really good i mean it was it's not your traditional documentary i think it's this was more so just a capture of their live show which is basically them like it's it's ad rock and mike d basically talking on stage showing, you know, I guess like you could call it a bit of a slideshow with clips of, of their history. And it's all directed by Spike Jones. Um, it's, it was just like a, a really like, I would say a pretty intimate. And I think, uh, yeah, it came to, comes across as like a bit of a rehearsed retelling of, of their personal history. And, you know, talks a lot, a lot about MCA's death and just kind of you know, a very interesting person. He, he was, uh, they're falling out with Def Jam and then just kind of like, you know, 
uh, embracing of, of their own weirdness and, and, and their musicianship, it gets cut off like after like the late nineties, you know? So you ba- they basically like jump from hello nasty to like MCA's death. And that mm-hmm. kind of ends a little abruptly to me, but um, eh, overall it was like, it's a nice guide to like their, eh, like, you know, most of their catalog. I thought the use of the maestro in episode three for that Dennis Rodman scene was fantastic in the last dance. Um, yeah, I, I dude, I, I'm sorry. I've, I've, I realized I just forget everything pretty much about those episodes. I watched them like a week ago, a week ago. They were just on last night. Yeah, I know. I thought okay. I would remember more than I did. We're late in the show. No one, no one's here at this point. It's just you and me. All right. Well, yeah. Anything else? Do you, do you have any 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 life lessons to leave me with? Um, mm, I don't know. Um, t- uh, leave your piercing piercings in if if you don't want to redo them. Always always get the free piercing and mint with everything. Those are the lessons to leave with everyone. Mm, lovely. Goodbye. <laughs>